understand when to do something along with how to. Best ever listeners, you ready to take your online advertising into the big leagues? Are you ready to get more leads? Well, how about we do all this for free? Yeah, sure, free. Well, it starts out with a free strategy session with Dan Barrett. You recognize his name, episode 565, titled Google AdWords and Cutting Edge Strategies. He's the only certified Google partner agency that works exclusively with real estate investors. That's why I'm talking about him. And he's managed over a million dollars of client spend and scored an 80th percentile for or higher for best practice. Basically, he knows his stuff. And he is offering a free strategy session for one hour to do a deep dive with you and learn about your market and collaboratively come up with an online advertising strategy based on your target audience. And he's offering to do this for the best ever listeners. Go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. Now I mentioned free. Well, the strategy session is free. And then you can either take the online advertising strategy that he comes up with on the call and go implement it yourself. There you go. It's free. Or you can have him and his agency do it for you. It's a turnkey solution. And by the way, that likely one that being free too, assuming that you're closing on the leads that he's generating for you as a result of all the efforts. Go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. He's got some amazing stuff. Ask him about the pre-targeting for direct mail lists that he does. It's something unique to their company and it's pretty exciting stuff. He's noticing some tremendous results as a result of doing pre-targeting. So ask him about that. AdWordsNerds.com forward slash Joe. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any fluffy stuff with us today, Bruce Norris. How you doing, Bruce? I'm great, Joe. Thanks for having me. Yeah, nice to have you on the show and looking forward to getting to know you more. Bruce is the founder of Norris Group, which is a hard money lending company. He's an active investor, an active hard money lender, and real estate educator. Been doing it for over 30 years. He's the host of the Norris Group real estate radio show and podcast and been involved in over 2,000 real estate transactions as a buyer, seller, builder, and money partner. He also hosts an award-winning series called I Survived Real Estate, which raised $700,000 for charity, which is really cool. Based in Riverside, California. With that being said, Bruce, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your focus? Sure, Joe. We started flipping houses in about 1981. Went to work for a company for three months and decided I didn't like how they did business, but I did get my feet wet on what the business was like, so I just started doing it on my own. I think what happened for me was about 15 years into doing this, I was doing well until 1989 when I got really aggressive at the end of a cycle, and we built a bunch of custom homes that didn't sell. It was at the end of a cycle in California. I got stuck with them and a bunch of $3,000 payments. And what that forced me to do was realize it wasn't good enough to just know how to do something. It was really important to add the when to part of it. So ever since then, we've paid attention to looking at cycles. And I guess that's what we've probably added to the industry is the ability in California to look at a cycle and say it's over 
or it's a time to get in. So we've written reports in, let's say, 97, why California will double in the next eight years. And then in 2005, we wrote the California crash, why foreclosure is going to go up and prices could go down by half. So that's basically our background. We flip properties, which led us into the education space, which led us into a clientele that was knowledgeable enough to borrow money. So we started the hard money loan business. But the biggest asset that we have as a business, I think, is we know when to stop being aggressive and when to get aggressive when other people don't feel it's time. Which one are you doing right now? Actually, we just finished a report. What I like about reports, sometimes the ending surprises me. So I never go into a report with the idea that I have a conclusion that I have to reach. So I let the evidence speak to me. I'm not afraid of this market. The title of the report is titled 2% Interest Rates and $40 trillion in Debt and Other Surprise Endings. So having done this for over 20 years, look at statistics and try to come to conclusions, the basis of why I'm doing it is I'm trying to protect my own assets and not have a replication of 1989. And we are in charge of a lot of people's private funds in investments as far as trustees. And I'd really like not to harm anybody in those by saying, yeah, we can be aggressive when we can't. I'm not afraid of 2017. I don't see a big downturn anytime soon for that. There's a couple of elements that you have to have for a downturn, and in my way of thinking, we really don't have them. What are the elements? Two elements that we have still plenty of room on. Affordability. California has a cycle of affordability that usually when you're at the end of a cycle, 1980, 17% affordability, 89, 17, 2005, 17. We're at 31 What happens when you get down below 20% to 17 is if you're in a legitimate lending market, a lot of lenders have to say no to the buyer that wants the next house. And it creates a domino effect of increased inventory and it changes the mix of inventory into a very dangerous mix depending on how many REOs there is in the mix. That'll tell you how bad your price damage is going to be. And so real quick, 31%, you said 31%, right? You're at 31%, so affordability means what percent of your households could get a yes answer from a lender in California based on the payment that emerges with 20% down and getting a fixed rate loan. That's always been the formula. Okay, that makes sense. And real quick, is this what we're talking about? You're about to go on the second thing, and apologize for interrupting, but just so I'm clear. What you're talking about, is this California-specific, the whole state, and nothing else? Yes, what's interesting about that, I look for systemic events. So let's say if you went to San Francisco, you'd probably have close to its closest low of affordability. So you could have a slowdown in a San Francisco, but you'd be missing a systemic event where it takes out all of the pieces almost everywhere at the same time. And usually that starts to occur when affordability for the state hits that magic number. And I don't invent this stuff. I just look at the combination of charts and go, huh, how about that? After you hit 17%, within 18 months, your inventory explodes from three or four months to 15 months. And your ratio of REOs participating in the market goes from almost nothing to sometimes 25%, 50%, or 70%, depending on the downturn. What source do you use for checking affordability? Oh, no, that's car. That's easy. Car? What's California? California Association of Realtors. Okay, got it. 
And the reason being, it's got the longest history of what that was all the way back to, let's say, 1980. So in the original study, that was the hardest thing I had to do. We didn't have the internet like we do today. Matter of fact, I wouldn't have known how to get on it if it was there. <laughs> so when I did the research, I literally went to libraries, hand wrote every number that I was taking down. And at the time, I was looking at a 25-year chart I was creating from 1970 to 1995 to do my predicting. So I created charts for everything I thought might impact real estate prices. And when I got all of the charts in one place, it took me 18 months to do that. I literally printed out the charts and then laid them on the ground so I could play with them and look for sequences that replicated during each boom and each bust cycle. And when I found out I had figured it out, that's when I decided I would write the first report. So the one aspect is affordability, and what was the second one? Well, the affordability just kicks off a chain of other events, and it happens every time when you get dangerously low in affordability in California, all of a sudden sales will stop. When sales stop, prices stop increasing. Foreclosures, which are usually handled because of an equity or a market that's really aggressive, all of a sudden that changes. And now foreclosures, trustee sales actually revert to the lender and become REOs. And when the mix of REOs becomes too big of a percentage of the market, like they did in 2008 and nine, we were buying properties at 20% of what the lender was owed in 2009. You can see that coming. And so that's what I like about the model that we figured out is I can get out of harm's way. I sold over 100 houses that I owned in 2005 and became liquid and waited. So it's affordability is really the one that kicks everything off, and then there's bullet points underneath affordability that you need to look out for? Well, yeah, it's inevitable, honestly, if you're at 17% affordability, but okay, we're at 31. So now you go back and say, okay, at 31% affordability, first of all, we've never had a crash or a downturn at that affordability. So let's say we just stop going up. What's the damage path? Well, you probably won't have one. Because what it's saying is everybody's got a payment that's pretty comfortable. Also, over the last five years, who's got an adjustable loan with a time bomb of a change? Not very many people. You have a fixed payment that starts with a 3% interest rate or four. And so you're missing the element that will create a lot of REOs in the event of recession or a slowdown in price. You just don't have one of the elements that you really need. We didn't have a lending world or environment that would let people in with nothing down with phonied up credit. The other piece of the puzzle that you don't have is builders usually build their inventory in ever-increasing amounts all the way to the peak. So if you look at construction in California, you'll see massive years in 87, 88, 89, 2004, 5, and 6, etc., when things turn, all of a sudden, they become a big part of the problem. What they have for sale is literally about 15% of the mix of inventory. Unsold homes become 15% builder inventory that goes on sale really quickly. That's damaging. We started 2017 with unsold inventory of new homes at 2%. So you couldn't have that event in 2017. There's not enough standing inventory to cause the damage. Have you looked at if it applies to other states? You get that <laughs> question all the time, many, obviously. Of course. And the honest answer is I haven't got a clue. I have a lot of respect for how long it's taken to feel comfortable with the formulas that, let's say, we have in California. Do I suspect there are some states that 
would mimic it. It's possible, but am I going to say I know what they are until I did the research? I wouldn't. And honestly, what I would have to do is, and I might take on another state um, investing in Florida. I'd like to understand Florida. I would take absolutely none of what I'm sure of in California and make that a starting point in Florida. I just wouldn't do it. So I literally would take the longest price sheet that I could get, and then I would look for all the categories that I think matter. And there, you could have it be very different. So I would look at the charts completely new again. What's always interesting is that you can get rid of your assumptions pretty quickly by just taking the chart and the price chart. So one of the questions I ask in front of an audience, interest rates are going up. You speak in front of a group of realtors, investors. Is it usually true that you have price damage when interest rates go up? And it's almost a unanimous comment, of course. That just makes perfect sense, except for that's not what happens. So when you look at the two charts together, you go, okay, well, that's completely a ridiculous conclusion because that isn't how it works. But that's why I like charts (laughs) because you can go, okay, that defies logic, but that's exactly what happens. It's like affordability going down, which means less people can afford real estate except for volume almost always explodes in reverse proportion. In other words, as affordability declines and tells you less and less people can get one, more and more people manage to get one and get more than one. That is exactly what the charts do, except in this last cycle. Is that because the lending guidelines are stricter? Well, see, that's a very intelligent conclusion. If you put 100 accountants into a room, which they did, asking what's wrong with sales volume, their conclusion unanimously was that because affordability was going down, you naturally are going to sell less real estate. And the only way they could come up with that statement is not to look beyond the cycle. If they had looked at the 80s and the 90s and any time before, they would go, that's not consistent. So whatever we're doing different this time is the cause. And then they could have landed, and they did this research for Congress. So they would have done Congress a big favor by saying, you know what, guys? Why you're not selling homes in an environment with 3% mortgage rates is you're not letting anybody in that isn't perfectly qualified, which is a huge mistake. That's what they should have been able to say, but they didn't. You mentioned earlier that you have investors and you're the trustee of people's finances. In what capacity, first off? Well, that's a great question. We really don't. We do trustee investments and not with people, not in a pool. So we have people that trust us with their money in the sense that we can call them up and say we have a $300,000 trustee and they will send a check and invest in it. Uh-huh. But we don't pool the money and we don't partner with people in that sense. And there are reasons for that, by the way. When you pool money, it gives a lot of power to the person in charge of the pool. I wouldn't probably put my own money in a pool, so therefore we don't request anybody else to do that. Makes sense. So 2017, you said you don't see a big downturn, and we're talking about California in particular. What do you see? I see a replication of 2016. I think you'll have some slow growth. I don't think building will explode. I think it will do a little better than it did in 2016. I think what's going to be interesting is the title of this report says 2% interest rates, and here we are with rising interest rates. That seems like that's got to be wrong at this point, but we talk about you're probably going to have interest rate hikes in 2017. 
But in 2018, my bet is we'll have a recession. So historically what happens, and this is, again, you can tell them attached to charts. You go to the Fed fund rate chart and say, what happens when we have a recession? Well, what happens is the Fed fund rate typically goes down 4% to help the economy. And what's the Fed fund rate today? Three quarters or a half? They've had raises, but we're not even up to one yet. So I think what's going to happen is that we're going to have interest rate hikes that probably don't even get us to 2% before all of a sudden they have to take it back and more. So I think in sometime late in 2018, we're going to have a negative interest rate. We'll probably end up with a one-year, 10-year T-bill rate, and we'll have a mortgage rate that starts with a 2 Just to transition a little bit, how does your company make money by doing this research? By staying out of harm's way more than anything. We just had an event. We probably sold 500 reports at 500 bucks. So you could say, okay, well, that's why he does it. And that's not really why I do it. I wouldn't think so. (laughs) Um, No. Honestly, if I got paid per hour for what I have in these reports, and I guess there would be some advantage to say, I'm the only one that knows this. This is great. We just have a following. We have a clientele that we've gotten well-known for doing this, and I get a big kick out of helping them make correct decisions. So that's why we do it. How our revenue? We buy and sell houses. I personally have rentals. company does hard money loans, services, a big portfolio of loans. So that's basically we have several pipelines of revenue. Are there any markets within California, since we are talking about California? Unfortunately, the largest representation of best ever listeners in one state is actually California. So we got the most number of listeners in California out of all the states. New York and Texas, close second and third. So are there any markets within California that stand out, good or bad? Areas like Riverside County, San Bernardino County, Kern County, Those areas have had the least price progression. Sacramento is another one from the bottom. They've come up quite a bit, but they're nowhere close to their last peak. And part of the reason is is that building has not kicked in in any of those areas significantly. We're building homes at a pace that's equal to about 1981, which is way below any other year since then. And interest rates for construction loans were about 20.5%. So we have a great interest rate environment, but we have a builder in in these areas, in these counties, that still literally can't pencil a new project. If they have to take a hill and turn it into building lots and pay for all of that infrastructure and the permit costs, the price per square foot isn't profitable, so they're not taking it on. And we subscribe to a report talks about how many projects are getting started and going to turn into lots in the next couple of years. And that's down something like 70% in these counties. So the builder doesn't seem to be optimistic that he's going to soon be able to build in these areas. And the progression, the time it takes to get to the finish line is not six months. It's a couple of years. So those counties, I feel, have upside. We do build new homes. So we have, in the last 12 months, probably... Every six months, we have another six projects that we're building, just one house at a time. Basically, that's what we do. We would have bought a track of lots. We've done that before. Now, I did buy a track of lots in Florida, so I'm building a track of homes in Florida, but that's a whole different thing. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, 
what I would be concerned about is picking up a million and a half dollar purchase in an Orange County or a San Francisco, a project that's going to take me a long time to add square footage and come up with a $3 million price tag or so. When I look at how much of that inventory is for sale, in Orange County, there's, on average, there's four months of inventory, but in that price range of over $2 million, there's three years already. I would call that speculation instead of investing. Bruce, based on your experience as a real estate investor and thought leader, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? Understand when to do something along with how to. I saw that coming. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know a lot of people that went broke in 2007 that knew exactly what they were doing. I'll give you one quick example. I don't mean of somebody's downturn, but the ability to do something, I don't know how to develop building lots. I don't know how to look at a hill and say, gosh, we could carve that up. But there's a project that I bought in 2002 close to Lancaster. Somebody had paid $3 million to create the lots. I paid $270,000 for them, a 90% discount. They knew how to create the lots. I knew when to buy them. I would rather know when to than how to any day. Powerful example. What would you do with the lots on your investment? We built them. We waited until 2004 to start the 93-house track. We were in a kind of a remote area called Rosamond. At the end of our project, our land cost was 1% of our sale price. We sold them for 280 You ready for the best ever lightning round? <laughs> sure. All right, cool. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Got your free strategy session to generate online leads yet? Well, if not, go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. Dan Barrett's going to give you a concrete online advertising strategy by the end of the conversation. You can choose to implement it yourself or you can work with this team and they'll implement it for you. Adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. Do you want to learn more about the real estate buying and selling process? Learn to earn passive income with the cash flow guys as Tyler Chef and his team discuss their secrets to creating cash flow. Check out the Cash Flow Guys podcast at cashflowguys.com. That's C A S H F L O W G U Y S dot com. Bruce, what's the best ever book you've read? Think and Grow Rich early on. What's the best ever deal you've done? That Rosamond deal I just mentioned. Best ever way you like to give back? I like our charity event where we give back every year to Children's Hospital and Make-A-Wish. How did you raise $700,000? Well, that's over a period of nine years approximately, so $70,000 a time. We have a radio show, like you mentioned, and during the time we've had that, we've earned the right to have interviews like you have. So on a panel once a year, we have the top people in the industry Maybe the president of the Mortgage Bankers Association, the Appraisal Institute, Chief Economist of Fannie Mae, etc. on a panel. We pay for the event. Everybody that comes has to donate $200 to the cause. We pay for all of the event, though, so all of the money that they pay goes to the charity. And we usually have a crowd of 400 so about $80,000 a year gets raised. That's so that's how we do it. Thinking back on a particular deal that you've done, what's a mistake you've made on a deal? In 1989, I bought seven custom home lots because everything I touched at that time was working really well. And I still own those homes about two and a half years later at a cost of 21 grand a month. 
I made the payments, got myself out of it, but it taught me to understand the when to part of it was really important. The last house I closed in that cycle was I wrote a personal check for 62 grand to close <laughs> the last one. <laughs> How long after you bottomed did that last check go out? About two and a half years. They gradually dissipated from seven to five to three, etc. but it took a while. Went out with a bang. <laughs> I was very happy to see that go. Here's the good news about that. A lot of people had downturns in the last cycle. I stuck with it. I had a partner that left the country, so I had to finish the houses out of pocket. A lot of the partners couldn't come up with any money at all, so I paid it all, even though the loans were in their name. What was great about that experience is that I had $21,000 a month extra overhead literally hit me in a 30-day period and went on for a long time. But because I decided to solve it, I had to learn to make 21 extra grand a month. Mm -hmm. Our industry, you can do that. But after everybody was paid off, I still had the skill level to earn the money. That was actually the biggest reward. Great point. One other question, and this might be a larger one, but I'm curious. Why wouldn't other states follow the same affordability path that... California is when you've identified affordability is the number one thing. What is so unique about California that it wouldn't apply to other states, your same philosophy? Well, I can tell you one, it doesn't, and you said you have a lot of listeners, Texas, it doesn't apply. Why? I'm not sure why, but I'd have to figure out chart-wise. But I can tell you that if you look at the history of affordability, you will not be able to detect when to get in, when to get out. You just won't. It's too mild. Texas hasn't had radical price increases that push the number to anything that's exaggerated. And Florida is a little bit similar to that if you can go back as far as you can. Now, they got hurt in the last downturn. What is kind of funny, one of the things that we did in some of the studies is we realized that when it's time to get out of California, there's other places that are safe havens. So if we did 1031 exchanges in 2005 and six. We went to Dallas-Fort Worth because they did not go up during that cycle when everything else did, and it was the safest thing that we could do. A place like that was a safe haven. So California went from a median price of six hundred grand to two forty, and Texas probably went in that area from one hundred and twenty to one hundred and ten. Where can the best ever listeners get in touch with you? The NorrisGroup.com is the best thing to do. Tons of free education and get to know our company on the website. All right, every person in California or interested in California, you're welcome. This has been a wonderful conversation for Californians as well as just real estate nerds who are interested in the dynamics of a particular market or in this case state. And then also it is certainly applicable to everyone who's listening. Understand when to do something in addition to how to do it in your 270k purchase versus a $3 million purchase is a shining example of that. Thanks so much for being on the show, Bruce. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. All right, Joe. Thanks for having me. Do you want to learn more about the real estate buying and selling process? Learn to earn passive income with the cash flow guys as Tyler Chef and his team discuss their secrets to creating cash flow. Check out the Cashflow Guys podcast at cashflowguys.com. That's C-A-S-H-F-L-O-W-G-U-Y-S dot com.